إذ لم تدارك منك العناية فمن Is eating a sweet or anything with the gelatine of pig haram? The answer is yes, it, eating it remains haram. Now, Da'wa man, he made a clip saying that gelatine, when it undergoes processing, uh, pig gelatine undergoes processing, it becomes tahir, clean, and therefore you can eat it. And they even eat the Haribo uh, gelatine uh, sweets, which contain pig gelatine. The ruling, the correct ruling is this, as mentioned in fiqh, works of fiqh, is that tahwil, which changes things, does make something pure. So for instance, from animal bones, we make detergents are made, we utilize those detergents and it's deemed as being tahir, it becomes clean. But what they mention, something being clean does not mean you can eat it. Something being tahir, like soil is tahir, we do not eat soil because it's harmful. But something being clean does not mean you can eat and consume it. So they mention in the works of fiqh that tahwil makes something tahir, but it becoming tahir does not mean you can eat it. There are exceptions, and they mention those exceptions. Like in the Hanafi school, the exception of wine becoming vinegar. They base this on hadith. They have hadith for this, like the statement of Sayyiduna Ali radiallahu an. Another exception being musk. They mention musk as being tahir, clean, and people can consume musk as well. They explicitly mention those things. But the general rule is, if an impurity becomes clean tahir, you can use it. What do they mean by tahir? If it falls on the clothes, it's not impure. If it's on the carpet, it's not impure. But it does not mean you can consume that thing. So pig gelatine would be haram. Can you wipe your socks instead of washing your feet? The response to this is that the hadith of Rasulullah which mentions that he wiped upon al-jawrabain. Masaha ala al-jawrabain. It's in al-jami'a of al-imamu Tirmidhi. It's an authentic hadith. The meaning is al-jawrabain is translated in modern times as socks, but it is not the common cotton socks that we wear, which are not waterproof. This was in reference to socks, which a person could walk in those socks for a few miles, maybe three miles as mentioned in some of the books of Al-Fiqh, as well as the socks were waterproof and the socks were thick and they would be worn on the feet and they would grasp onto the feet that they, the person was not in need of anything to tie down those socks. So if they, those socks fulfill those conditions, then wiping upon the socks is permitted, like sealskin socks, but the common cotton socks are not permitted. So people who have difficulty at work, maybe they can uh, acquire sealskin socks, which fulfill those three conditions, as mentioned in the Hanafi fiqh books, but this is the ruling in all four schools. There is a an aberrant position in the Hanbali school which is not the actual correct position within the Hanbali school also so this is the fatwa within all four schools is smoking weed haram so weed which is cannabis hashish this was introduced in the Muslim world in around the sixth Islamic century after the Mongols started to enter the Muslim territories Al-Imam Abu Hamid al-Ghazali ta'ala spoke up regarding cannabis in all four Sunni schools, cannabis has been declared haram. So, Abu Abbas Ahmed bin Idris al-Qarafi, he has 
a very detailed discussion on the hurma, the prohibition of cannabis in the Maliki school. In the Shafi'i school, Imam Ahmad bin Hajar al-Haytami al-Makki in his, uh, in his uh, book Az-Zawajir, he has a detailed discussion on the prohibition of cannabis. Abu al-Abbas, Ahmad bin Taymiyyah and other Hanabila have mentioned that cannabis is haram, but the Hanabila not only say it's haram, they also say it's najis, it's impure. In the Hanafi school, you can check the Hashia, the Raddul Muhtar of Ibn Abdin, Rahimullah, and other works where they mention cannabis is haram. This is by Ijma' of the four Sunni schools. Based upon the Hadith, Kullu Muskirin Haram, but new research has also demonstrated that cannabis can affect the mental health of a person. If a person already has mental health issues, it can uh, affect their mental health. As for medicinal use, this is permitted with the recommendation of a doctor, uh, the oils that are given to cancer patients and whatnot. That is a ruhsa with regard to medicinal use. But generally speaking, for recreational purposes, it's totally haram. The sin is similar to alcohol, and people who take this are deemed as fusaq, transgressors, and it also affects their lifestyle. Do I have to stand with my hands on my chest and wide apart in the prayer? The position of the hands in the four schools, in the Maliki school, there is a saddle which is placing the hands on the side. They also have a position of qabd, which is grasping the two hands together in the Shafi'i school above the navel, in the Hanbali and Hanafi school below the navel. So we place the hands below the navel in the Hanbali and Hanafi schools. Placing it on the chest is based upon the hadith in Sahih of Ibn Khuzayma, which the Hanafis apply for women. It is not necessary to place your hands on the chest. You follow the, one, the school that you follow, which determines for you what the hadith is actually saying. With regard to spreading the feet apart, the Salafis, they do this when praying individually when there is no reason to do so. They do this to join the feet in the congregation. But when you stand in the congregational prayer, if your shoulders are touching, your feet will not be wide apart. They will be wide enough to be parallel to your shoulders. They will not be very wide apart. So if you stand feet to feet and shoulder to shoulder, your feet should be apart enough leaving a gap wide as your shoulders. But for some strange reason, the Salafis spread their feet so wide apart. You can see this in Wright Street and other Salafi Masajid. Their feet are spread so wide apart that the shoulders will not touch. In fact, they should touch the feet and then touch the shoulders and the knees according to the Hadith. But they, they spread their feet so wide apart that the shoulders do not touch in many cases. And then when they pray individually alone, they have their legs far wide apart. There is no Dalil from the sunnah to do this. So you do not need to place your feet wide apart. If you are standing in the congregation, first you join the shoulders, and if there is a need, you join the, sh the knees and the feet. When you join the congregational prayer late, how do I complete the prayer? Firstly, if you missed one cycle, you stand up, when the Imam has finished, you stand up. But how do you know you have included yourself within the prayer? The answer is when the Imam has gone down into Ruku'ah. If you caught him in Ruku'ah, when he was doing the Ruku'ah, bowing down in prayer, then you have caught the cycle. If you miss one cycle, you stand up, you recite the 
opening of the prayer, which is Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. And then you start with Surah Al-Fatiha, you recite additional Quran, and then you complete the prayer. If you miss two cycles, you add a second cycle to that. If, however, you miss three cycles, you stand up, you recite Subhanakallah, you recite Surah Al-Fatiha, you recite additional Quran, but you sit down in the first cycle and you recite At-Tahiyyatu, At-Tahiyyatu Lillahi. When you finish this up to Abduhu wa Rasuluh, you stand up in the second cycle. In the second cycle, you recite Surah Al-Fatiha and additional Quran, but you do not sit down. And then in the third cycle, you stand up and you only recite Surah Al-Fatiha. Then you sit down at the end after the two sajda and you recite At-Tahiyyat and finish with Salawat. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad. You complete the prayer. That is when you miss three cycles. So three cycles is anomaly. It's different to the logical order. And then the fourth, if you miss four cycles, you stand up the way you would have stood up for prayer and you complete the prayer as you would have finished the prayer if you had prayed alone. This is according to the Hanafi school. According to the other schools, you need to, with regard to the three cycles, you need to ask someone who is an expert in those other schools. In 21st century Britain, any scholar, any person claiming to be a Sufi guide in this day and age, he will have a major responsibility, meaning you can question his credentials. His, question, his credentials are questionable by everyone because the credentials have been written out by the ulama, the scholars that anyone claiming to be a Sufi guide, he must fulfill these conditions. Therefore, a, a lay person must learn those conditions and apply those conditions. But there is a warning. The warning is, of Sidi Ahmed Zarouq and others that they mention in the inside cover of their works that we place these signs in order that people can make a distinction between falsehood and truth. We do not place these signs in order that people use these signs in order to find faults with other Muslims. So the purpose of even having this discussion is not to find faults and blemishes with other Muslim groups or Muslim individuals it is order in that we find guidance for ourselves in the 21st century. That how do we find guidance when there are so many people who are after wealth, power and women. So many people who are after these three things and worldly things, material things and use the name of religion, use the name of Islam, use the name of Sufism in order to acquire those things. How do we make a, a distinction between truth and falsehood? So like I said, the only way of doing this is by learning the knowledge of aqidah, belief. And remember, blind conformity in belief is impermissible. If you are able to learn and you continue blind following, then you become sinful. If you are able to learn and you continue blind following, you become sinful. Who must give qurbani? Is it only those who give, whose zakat is fardan? If a man gives it, is it sufficient for his wife and kids? The answer is, Qurbani firstly is giving a sacrifice of a, the minimum of a goat, but you can give a camel or a cow, which a camel or a cow 
covers the sacrifice of seven people, but a goat will cover the sacrifice of one person. This is fard on those people who must give zakat. If zakat is fard on you, you must give a sacrifice on Eid al-Adha, on the day of Eid, 10th of Dhul Hijjah. But also fard on those people who cannot take zakat, but zakat is not fard upon them to give. So there is a category of people who cannot take zakat because they have sufficient means to live on. They have certain things to live on, but it is not fard on them to give zakat as well. So they cannot take, but they do not need to give. They must also give a sacrifice on the day of Eid. Most young people fall into this. They have smartphones, they have laptops. So every Eid, they must give a sacrifice, which will cost the minimum. Currently speaking, the rate is around 40 pounds. They must give this sacrifice every year. So one sacrifice per household is not valid. It is one sacrifice per adult. What is adult? Everyone who has passed the age of puberty in Islamic law. In every household who has sufficient means. And sufficient means would here would mean that if you have a mobile phone, a laptop and extra things that you do not really need, then you must give a sacrifice an Eid al-Adha. Is it bidah kisah comes when hearing the name of the Prophet No, it's narrated in the Muslim al And Al-Imam al also mentions it in Al-Maqasim al-Hasana. The weak veneration that Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq kissed his thumbs at the mention of the name of the Messenger and placed them on his eyes is a weak narration. But the dispute is not on the weakness of the narration. The dispute is on whether we can practice weak narrations or not. Whether we can practice weak narrations or not. And remember the weakness found in this hadith is not weakness which makes the hadith mawdu' or near mawdu'. It is not critical weakness. And Al-Imam ibn Abdim rahmatullah ta'ala, this is what I do not understand about the Diobandi who object on this. That Al-Imam ibn Abdim rahmatullah ta'ala mentions it as being mustahab, something which is love. And Al-Imam al-Tahtari in his commentary al maraq al-Falah also mentions it as being mustahab. So if you place did the Yomani ulama aside and you place Al-Imam Ahmed al aside and you look at the earlier sources of the Hanafi school, you will find that they are validating it. As for practicing weak hadith, then Al-Imam Nawi ta'ala has mentioned that the majority of the Ahlul Hadith have agreed upon following weak hadith. And weak hadith meaning those weak hadith which do not have critical weakness. And we claim that this hadith is not critically weak. Al-Imam Rahman wrote a whole epistle on this subject also, which has been translated into Arabic. How do you get rid of waswasa? What causes waswasa? Can I become a kafir from waswasa? Firstly, what causes waswasa? Al-Imam Abdul Wahhab al-Sha'rani ta'ala mentions that waswasa is caused by sins. Sins are from the person's actions. Those actions are caused by a dark heart. A dark heart is from eating haram and lack of dhikrullah and having a negligent heart. So you cure these three things. Firstly, you eat halal. You do not eat from haram earnings. You do not earn money from haram. Secondly, 
you avoid haram food. So many young people now they eat from McDonald's, they eat from various places which give haram meat. You do not eat from such places. Your meat must be halal. Your income must be halal. And then you increase yourself in dhikrullah, remembrance of Allah. You cannot have a negligent heart, which is ghafil, negligent of Allah, watching television all the time, watching internet all the time, all these things that make you negligent of Allah. That will cause a dark heart, which makes you sin. When you fall into sin, Sin, sinning causes waswasa. Waswasa is satanic whisperings, whisperings of the mind also. So that is how you cure the waswasa. And additionally, does a person become a kafir from waswasa? The answer is no. Waswasa does not make you a kafir. But what you must do is carry out the advice I have given. But at the same time, if it becomes a mental health issue, you must go to a mental health professional rather than expecting the ulama in the masajid to cure mental health issues. Is Allah above the throne? Ustaz Abdul Rahman says, Asharis deny this. How can you deny it when it is in the Quran? Fawq uh, al-Arsh, which is above the throne, is not a wording which is found in the Quran. Ar-Rahmanu uh, al arsh istawa is mentioned around six times in the Qur'an. We do not de- deny this. We affirm this for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Likewise, we affirm fawqiyah for Allah. What does fawqiyah mean? Aboveness. What type of aboveness? Like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, huwa al-qahiru fawqa ibadihi. He is al-qahir, the one who overwhelms, fawqa ibadihi, above his servants. It's an aboveness that does not require locational space. So Asharis do not deny Allah is above the throne in the meaning that he is not contained by place or time. They say this is fawqiya mutlaqa, the unrestricted aboveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So do not fall into pseudo-Salafi propaganda with regard to the Asharis because they make straw man arguments and then burn the straw man, a false claim with regard to the Ashaira, like saying the Asharis limit the attributes to seven attributes or 20 attributes, which is false, or many other claims, which I have refuted numerous times, and you can make reference to those videos. Why doesn't Islam allow homosexuality as it is found in nature? Now, this question has become a major question amongst former Muslims who choose to be homosexual and leave Islam, or some people who choose to be homosexual or carry out their homosexual inclinations and still claim to be Muslim. They ask, why does Islam not allow homosexuality when it is found in nature, it is a natural desire? The response to this is that homosexuality is a desire, a male for a male or a female for a female. Sexuality or sexual desire has been placed inside of the human being for procreation. This is the purpose. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created human beings as such that if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not place sexual desire in human beings, they will not procreate. Why will the woman put up with a man and why will the man put up with a woman? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created this desire in them. So they will tolerate one another 
and procreate. This desire, some people, some men and some women, do not have this desire for the opposite sex, opposite gender. Some of them will claim that they have desire for the same gender. Others will have a desire for children, which is known as pedophilia. Others will have a desire for animals, which is known as bestiality. Others will have even a desire for dead bodies, which is known as... What is it known as? Necrophilia. So all these different desires, where do we draw the line? And who draws the line? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala legislated marriage between man and woman. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala legislated marriage between man and woman. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us all these other desires which people may have are prohibited. This is why the Quran has prohibited homosexuality. And unfortunately, there are groups of people who have attempted to validate homosexuality in Islam. They are unable to do so. And even those people who have chosen this as a way of life, again, I say to them that they must dialogue with us, come to these type of gatherings, discuss with us, present their doubts regarding this issue, and we will respond to this uh, accordingly. But in short, this is uh, the response to them. If a person is feeling low in their Iman, what should they do? <clears throat> Firstly, when people say they are low in their Iman, this can relate to one of two things. Either they are low in the certainty of their Iman, meaning they have doubts regarding the existence of Allah, they have doubts regarding certain aspects of Islam, the verses of the Quran, to Sharia, to certain ahadith. The removal of this illness relates to seeking knowledge. So they must go to the people of knowledge and ask them in order that they remove the doubts. If someone is fully intellectually convinced regarding the truth of Islam, they have a weakness of Iman, meaning practicing Islam, then we go back to the initial uh, cure I mentioned, which is allocating a time every day and supplicating to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he create the means by which you can strengthen your iman. Eventually the dua, the supplication will have an effect.